Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak. Four. Breakfast. So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the second of our two all-new editions of the show today. I'm Ro. Noah's still here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome to America's fastest-growing political podcast. That is Steak for Breakfast. If you're listening to this show first, hit pause. We'll see you in a little bit. Jump back to our first edition of the show today where we had Cash Patel, Colonel Douglas McGregor, and Elizabeth Hageline join us. And uh, we'll see you in a little bit for show number two, which we're getting started now. Talking about some recent developments in Donald Trump's legal cases, which have taken us, I would call it a turn for the good, at least over the course of the last 48 hours. No, if you woke up yesterday and saw the news where now there is a potentiality for Fannie Willis to go to jail before Donald Trump does, what would you have said? Uh, I'd be very surprised. And yet here we are. We're going to talk about that in just a sec. You know, while Donald Trump was in Florida yesterday, hearing parts of his case in regards to the special counsel appointed to his classified documents case, after a unanimous decision by a D.C. appellate court, which said he did not have presidential immunity in regards to January 6th, the Trump legal team filed a appeal with the Supreme Court of the United States. This is going to punch an enormous hole, I think, eventually in Jack Smith's investigation into Donald Trump in January 6th, where I feel that the Supreme Court, especially after hearing testimony last week about it, is going to be uh, ruling in favor of Donald Trump when it comes to presidential immunity. I saw the news breaking this morning in regards to the Supreme Court taking up the appeal and now getting back to Jack Smith. Let's check it out. It was on one of Donald Trump's legal fights. The Supreme Court just replied to Trump's new request to the Supreme Court where he asks for a stay on the appeals court ruling that rejected his presidential immunity claim. Now, the court is asking special counsel Jack Smith to file a response to Trump by next Tuesday. I want to bring in former assistant Manhattan District Attorney Catherine Christian and former federal prosecutor and former senior investigative counsel for the January 6th committee, Temadio Aganga-Williams. Catherine, the Supreme Court now asking Jack Smith to respond by Tuesday. What does that tell you and what would you expect to happen next? Well, what that says is actually good because that means that the Supreme Court is expediting whatever decision they're going to make. And I suspect that the special counsel already has their response ready to go. Remember, Monday is a holiday president's a day. So that the Trump team met their deadline yesterday. And then the next morning, uh, the Supreme Court and the chief judge says respond by next Tuesday is a good sign that whatever decision the Supreme Court take makes, it will hopefully be expedited. Mm. Well, I, I'd like a fast response in regards to them saying that Donald Trump had presidential immunity. What about you, Noah? I'd like a fast response with anything in government nowadays, except the fast response of sending money to Ukraine. (laughs) I could go for a slower response on that fucking thing. Or a knower response is more like it. It's Well, I mean, let's be reasonable. They're not going to ever stop the drip, drip, drip to that money laundering machine. Otherwise, the fire will go out. Yeah, it's it's the truth. And, And as this news... With Donald Trump's ballot case, oral arguments being heard in the Supreme Court last week, it looks very favorable for Donald Trump. Now we're going to go to the next step, and and what are the lengths of his presidential immunity in regards to January 6th as well? Russiagate proprietor? 
disciple of James Comey, Rod Rosenstein, former disgraced and fired, but rehired so he could collect his pension by Joe Biden. FBI director jumped on Jake Tapper's State of the Fake Union on Sunday to provide a little commentary on what's going on with Donald Trump and his immunity, and more so over with the document-related cases as well, and, and where the gray area between how Donald Trump is guilty and Joe Biden is not further lies. Let's hear it. Another thing that Robert Herr wrote about is he distinguished between the Biden case on uh, handling classified documents and the Trump case and noted, uh, now I'm paraphrasing here, but along the lines of Trump's case is much worse uh, because Trump didn't cooperate uh, and Biden did. And Trump urged people to lie and obstruct justice and destroy evidence. (laughs) And Biden did not. Uh, Was that appropriate of Robert Herr to, to do? I, th- I think so, Jake. And uh, you, know, you identified the controversial elements of the special counsel's report. It's a very long report, 345 pages, and has a lot of information in there, other reasons why uh, prosecution would not be warranted. And one of them is the history and experience of prior presidents and potentially vice presidents as well taking home classified documents. And, and you know, the, the point that Robert anticipated there was people would ask, you know, what distinguishes this case from the allegations against former President Trump? And the answer was uh, that President Biden fully cooperated and turned over the documents. Now, uh-huh. I don't know whether the allegations against President Trump are true or not, but it is a distinguishing factor. And it's he hopes perfectly they are. appropriate for prosecutors to consider uh, a suspect's cooperation, a suspect's truthfulness uh, in making a determination about whether prosecution might be warranted. So that's an issue that's covered actually in great detail in the special counsel's report. Tomorrow marks the deadline for Donald Trump to ask the U.S. Supreme Court to pause the ruling from the D.C. Court of Appeals. The D.C. Court of Appeals, as you know, uh, ruled that he does not get blanket immunity for his actions on January 6th just because he was president at the time. How do you think the U.S. Supreme Court will rule? Should Trump or any former president have blanket immunity from prosecution for acts they, they committed while president? You know, my view about this, Jake, I I participated in uh, several investigations of sitting presidents, the Whitewater investigation at the early stages in the 1990s and and then the Russia investigation. And my view of it was that, uh, you know, we need to conduct thorough investigations, no matter who anybody is in the United States. And then we reach a decision point. And if we decide that it's appropriate to move forward and bring charges, then we have to address that issue. Uh, The issue of whether a sitting president is immune from prosecution. The issue raised in this case, of course, is is what, if any, immunity does a former president uh, receive. And that opinion, of course, the D.C. Circuit has already ruled 3-0 in favor of the government. We'll see whether the Supreme Court takes that case. But uh, it is a relatively novel proposition. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the courts ultimately rule on it. Hmm. I think it is going to be interesting to see how the courts rule on it, Noah. And, And, you know... It's so funny because this guy is like one of the firewalls that sits behind Joe Biden's corrupt criminal empire and Barack Obama droning U.S. citizens. I I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to propriate this lie to the American public that Donald Trump is guilty of things, such minor things in contrast to like what other presidents have done in the past. I mean, you want to talk about George W. Bush and the whole justification for the Iraq war and the yellow cake. They, they made Dave Chappelle skits about it. And, yeah. and, and the doors that it opens, the Pandora's box that it unlocks for families to be able to hold former government officials liable that if they want to 
try and disenfranchise Donald Trump for run. That's all they're trying to do. There's like no there there. Like, I get it. Everybody keeps saying, oh, a thousand years in prison and 91 criminal felonies and this, that, and the other thing. And they're trying to erase his business. The only there there here is that Donald Trump won't be able to run for president. That's all they want. They just don't want him to be president anymore. And they're willing to apparently risk it all. I mean, how can the Supreme Court not rule in favor of Donald Trump having presidential immunity and then expect to rule in favor of Joe Biden, of Barack Obama, of George W. Bush? It's not the way this system works. And for the things that they could be potentially accused of committing crimes-wise during their presidential terms in office, it's a lot worse than saying peacefully and patriotically allow your voices to be heard and then go home, we love cops. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, the whole peacefully and patriotically thing, it seems to be something that people have missed completely when it comes to their narrative on what happened on January 6th. It's definitely a huge gap. And, and I, I just don't think that they've really thought this through or that it would gain as much traction as it did. But here we are, and it's turning into an absolute mess, potentially, for the Democrats. So I am going to segue in between some of these cases right now. We touched on the ballot stuff, and, and we know what the Supreme Court is doing there. I could, I think it's going to be an 8-1 to ruling. I think you're going to get, for future book purposes only, Probably Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor to dissent, maybe seven to two with Katanji Brown Jackson, but I, I I'm feeling it's more. Like, it should be nine zero. It could be eight one. There's even a likelihood that it could be seven two, but it will be a win for Donald Trump. But down in Georgia and in Fulton County, disgraced, adultering, money laundering district attorney Fannie Willis had a hearing yesterday via Zoom in regards to the allegations that's been made against her office and corruption, that she had an affair with a prosecutor who had never, number one, done a federal trial, number two, worked felonies, and number three, was married. She homewrecked and then paid this guy three-quarters of a million dollars to, in turn, go on expensive vacations and have him buy her purses and shit like that to be appointed as the prosecutor in the Donald Trump case down in Fulton which is the election-related scheme, the RICO trial that they're trying to hold there. Well, now there's been several whistleblowers after Fannie Willis and her boyfriend went on the record saying that this relationship blossomed in late 2022 and either shortly before, during, or after he was appointed to be the prosecutor against Donald Trump, where a lot of people are saying, now, this has been going on since at least 2020, if not before. Not only that, but Fannie Willis has been sleeping with everybody from... Criminals charged as government witnesses now in criminal trials, all the way up to gang members, in addition to this guy who is now her boyfriend. So with all of these allegations going on, it seems like this is not only partisan, but it's pointed at Donald Trump for political reasons. And this is one of the only cases where you're hearing the case of a DA who campaigned on getting Trump, who's actually being held accountable for it. Let's check in on the Zoom call and how good it wasn't going for District Attorney Fannie Willis. Specifically looking at Defendant Roman's motion, it alleges a personal relationship that resulted in a financial benefit to the District Attorney, and that is no longer a matter of complete speculation. The state has admitted a relationship existed, and so what remains to be proven is the existence and extent of any financial benefit 
again, if there, is, if there even was one. So because I think it's possible that the facts alleged by uh, the defendant could result in disqualification, I think an evidentiary hearing must occur to establish the record on those core allegations. So just to emphasize, I think the issues at point here are whether a relationship existed. Mm-hmm. Noah? Mm-hmm. So Judge Scott McAfee says that the facts alleged against Fannie Willis could result in disqualification of her from this case. If this case falls apart because of her inappropriateness and the nature that she conducted herself socially behind the scenes while this case was getting put together, I'm not even talking about the fact that she sent her boyfriend up to Washington, D.C. to meet with the U.S. Justice Department, with Joe Biden's legal team in the White House Council. That's all speculation on still to what that was all about. We all know what it was about, but that's not even... If this if they can't try Donald Trump because they figure out that this was all some big scheme in the heat of passion <laughs> to get him, this is huge. And the civil lawsuits that will follow from the Trump team, which he has been claiming are coming down the pike even before a ruling comes out on this, it's absolutely fantastic to see that Donald Trump might get a big win outside of the Supreme Court in relation to one of his cases. What do you think? Yeah, that'd be nice. Now, when you talk about Fannie Willis and her long documented history of doing things of this nature against people that she's going against, we played the clip over a year ago. I'm going to play it for you all again. Fannie Willis got dressed down by an extremely by-the-book judge for hosting a political fundraiser for the opponent of a Trump elector she was trying to prosecute. I remember we played the clip on the show about 10 months ago. Let's hear it again. Um, Using the title of your office and having on social media that you as this political office holder are holding a fundraiser for the opponent of someone that this political office is investigating. Um, I don't know that it's an actual conflict, but um, I use that phrase, what were you thinking? Where the prosecutor thought I could prosecute the co-defendant of someone I defended. It's a what are you thinking moment. Um, The optics are horrific. If you are trying to have the public believe that this is a nonpartisan, driven by the facts, I'm not here to critique decisions. The decision was made, but if we are trying to maintain confidence that this investigation is pursuing facts in a nonpartisan sense, no matter who the district attorney is, we follow the evidence where it goes and ignore the fact that I hosted a fundraiser for the political opponent of someone I've just named the target. That, that strikes me as problematic, maybe not from an actual conflict level, but if we are at a cocktail party and people are asking, do you think that this is a fair and balanced approach to things? Um, I, I do. Well, how do you explain this? How does one explain? I mean, that, that, that's the concern I'm working through, is that it's not a lowercase a appearance. <laughs> it's like a capital A with flashy lights fundraiser district attorney for the political opponent of someone I've named the target of my investigation. Pretty damning, to say the least to hear behavior like this, which has already been pointed out in court. And again, excuse the audio quality when you you have these courts with with makeshift media setups there. Everybody's not only trampling up over the wires, but they probably don't set up studio quality sound in there. But just to be able to play the receipt that this behavior has already been 
shown the light on it. And he even said it. It's not, this is a concern. This is like a major concern with the flashing lights and everything. And now we're starting to see this exact same thing in regarded as probably one of the highest profile cases in the history of our country. They're trying to charge a former president who was in office less than a term ago as a gangster. Rico charges. Like he conceived some elaborate scheme to use mafia-style tactics to overthrow electors in the state of Georgia. This has fallen apart faster than how fast we already knew that this was bullshit. And, and, and it really lends credit to the amount of work that has gone in from Donald Trump's legal teams to be able to point this stuff out and present it before judges. I think you really can't not take into consideration how big that is. And much like with the Trump presidential campaign, his legal team, although the mainstream media does try to paint them up as unqualified idiots and sometimes have been just better than the people who are trying to prosecute them. And that's the fact of the matter. You see just about all of these cases falling apart. You see a lot of citizen journalists. I have to point back to Laura Loomer. You want to talk about how compromised all of these judges and especially like the first thing they want to do every time the Supreme Court weighs in on something that's Donald Trump or America First related is try to take out Justice Thomas because everybody knows that he's a fan of Donald Trump and his wife is a huge fan of Donald Trump. All of these judges and their radical wives are just the same for the other side of the aisle. And it's like, we don't want to pay any attention to that, but at some point you have to do it. You know, I think the biggest... Okay, I'm just going to say it, Noah. Donald Trump is expected to troll Fannie Willis on Thursday by heading down to Georgia... (laughs) And appearing mm. at a hearing investigating her misuse of state funds. He's just going to show up, crash the party? Yeah, you know how Letitia James always sits in the back of the courthouse up in Manhattan? Now yeah. you could have Donald Trump sitting in there staring at her the whole time. Bring some pizza. <laughs> oh my God, Chick-fil-A for everybody. It's going to be awesome. Just like our podcast is. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what platform it's on, make sure you're subscribed to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Make sure you're sharing our podcast with your friends family, and loved ones. Hit that follow button. Hit that plus button. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic devices. And then on social medias, Twitter, get our true social and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything from our weekly newsletter that comes out every Sunday morning to the great guest lineups we have and our top headlines that we're discussing on the show. Got one more clip before we jump in with Newsmax contributor, one of our great friends, Brian Leib, who just returned from CPAC Hungary. He was in Israel last month doing some uh, good works there as well, and he's going to have a full report on the current sad state of U.S.-Hungary relations in addition to some other things. Donald Trump put out a truth yesterday, and it wasn't necessarily related to these cases. It was more pointed at the DOJ investigation into Joe Biden and his special counsel regarding the classified documents and materials that he took to his home and office at the Penn Center. And Noah, you can probably agree with me. One of Donald Trump's greatest trolls and one of my favorites is when he kind of talks about how there's a possibility that he could live forever. (laughs) You, You know, there's that one meme he had where it was like all the yard signs of the years of him running for office all the way up until like 3050. And, yeah, and, and, you know, he did say at a rally last week that his doctor said if he cut back on the fast food, there was the potential for him to live over the age of 200. Well, we all know that Donald Trump is 77 or 78 years old now, 
and he put out this truth yesterday. The thing I like best about the Department of Justice report on Joe Biden is that in 25 years, when I've lost my marbles, I can use mental competence and bad memory as an excuse to get out of trouble. So there's Donald <laughs> Trump already saying that he's going to live to at least 103 and will at that point probably still be under investigation for stuff. But I think it just burns them up when he talks about there's just nothing wrong with him. And, and he's healthy as a horse. And, and even though he's just a horrible junk food eater and, you know, all these other people, they always get sick. And it's just funny the way that Donald Trump just drags them unrelentlessly all the time. All right, last clip I've got before we jump in with Brian Leib. One of our great friends, I saw her on the news Sunday morning, Kingsley Cortez, who joined us next week. She'll be back in March. Was talking about these presidential immunity factors and what's going on with the current state of our judicial system. Let's hear her. It really is, is again, more of this lawfare that we're seeing from Democrat-led activists on different courts against President Trump because they know they can't beat him at the ballot box. President Trump is, of course, immune from prosecution in this case. The president has immunity because he is the chief magistrate, right? So when he acts within the scope of his duties, he's immune from prosecution. While that's not mentioned specifically in the Constitution, this is a well-established tenant of our legal system in the United States. Police officers have immunity, states have immunity, the federal government can argue immunity in cases from time to time. Um, so, you know, this is a no-brainer. And President Trump was acting within the scope of his duties here. He was right to question, you know, election irregularities that we all witnessed in 2020. The American people know the election was rigged six ways to Sunway. Sunday. There was a ton of, you know, ballot harvesting. There were pipes that burst in the middle of the night, not to mention what the mainstream media did in collusion with big tech to censor the Hunter Biden story. So I think the president really did have a duty to investigate that election and was right to do so. He is immune from this prosecution. And if the Supreme Court takes it up, I hope to see that they'll be on his side. Pretty reasonable right there. She always sounds like that when she comes on the show. She did a hell of a good job on the news there on Sunday, kind of holding the line for America first. She's going to make an incredible addition to whatever she is given as far as a job in the future Trump administration. Don't you agree, Noah? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the amount of solid people he has in the quiver now is really fucking, it's good. It's substantial. You know, it's there, girthy. Speaking of girth, there was a, <laughs> there was a great post last night. Uh, let me find it real quick. It was from ABC News. I shared it on social media, and I said, you know, it was one of those ones, come on, NBC, you got to relax now. We can only vote for him once. We're not Democrats. And it, it, it's just what they're talking about, Donald Trump putting together a team like the Avengers, there wasn't there was an idea, and I'll say that at the very least, of you know, and, and these hit pieces are starting to come out right now. What they're trying to do is disenfranchise some of the people who are potentially going to work in the next administration, and, and all that does is, is kind of set up some roadblocks potentially for them in Senate confirmation. But you know, I, I saw this headline yesterday, and and I just had to run with it because the, the way that they push this stuff is is just hilarious, and they're all op eds. And when you look at most of these people, they're either like they have never known the touch of a woman or it's just some purple haired cat lady who, you know, doesn't shave any part of her body. And here's the headline feeling betrayed. Trump wants a second administration stocked with loyalists. Trump's fixation on loyalty appears to be growing as he con contemplates a second term in the White House. And I said, come on, MSNBC. We can only vote for him once. We're not Democrats. So, you know. 
we're seeing a lot of hit pieces like this. We're also seeing, you know, assassination related stuff coming out from parts of the radical left and, and news commentary. But we're going to try and stick in this thread right now. And we'll be checking in on Trump's big rally down in South Carolina this weekend. We're getting ready to jump in with Brian live first. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, the second of two all-new editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the CEO of Henry Public Relations and a Newsmax columnist and contributor, one of our great friends, Mr. Brian Lye. Welcome back to the show. Hey, man. How are you? Good to be back. We're busy, but not as busy as you. You just got back from, a, we're not going to call it a National Lampoon's European vacation, but you were out in Europe and you were meeting with some of our longstanding allies there, namely Hungary, and we want to be able to talk about everything that uh, happened on your trip and let our listenership know exactly what's going on. Yeah, the the visit to Hungary was, uh, was a business trip. We mixed in a little bit of pleasure in the evenings uh, when... Uh, we weren't running around crazy during the day. And by pleasure, I mean trying new restaurants and then going to bed. Uh, but uh, listen, Hungary uh, is is really, uh, really a great place. It's a country of around 10 million people. Uh, and their mantra is, you know, God, family, and homeland. What does that mean? It means respecting and loving God. It means putting uh, family first values in the forefront and it means protecting the homeland. And you know, when you're when you're in uh, in Budapest, which is their capital, and and, and that's where about two million uh, of uh, of their population live. You know, it's it's a clean city, uh, not a lot of crime, uh, and uh, and you feel safe. You know, which is uh, kind of uh, the opposite of you know how you feel when you walk around in uh, in cities in America. And um, it was a listen. It was a it was a great trip. Uh, there, unfortunately, right now, Roan is a, a major fracture uh, in U.S.-Hungarian relations, and a lot of that has to do with Joe Biden uh, and, in particular, his ambassador on the ground, uh, U.S. Ambassador David Pressman, um, who uh, really is is more of a political activist than he is a, a diplomat right now. Um, he's you know labeled the Orban government as being anti-Semitic. Um, not because of anything other than because they criticize George Soros. So I guess, you know, if you criticize George Soros, you're automatically an anti-Semite. I guess I'm an anti-Semite, Rome, because I, I criticize George Soros on a, on a weekly basis. That's so. impossible. <laughs> I, I don't see how that, you're going to make my head explode here, Brian. But I, but I think the big thing that you started to get into, and I really want you to lay out for our listenership, the relationship between the United States and Hungary has always been a solid one. I think it was probably reaching its pinnacle during the first term of Donald Trump's presidency, but it's taken like almost a 180 degree turn since Joe Biden's took office. One of the governments that we've always had a long stranding, strong relationship with in Europe as an ally, both economically for defense in the region, and, and even one that agreed with us on things like NATO contributions, etc., now seems to be extremely distant from this regime where, you know, Joe Biden's foreign policy is, is if we're not failing, we're not winning. And, and it just seems like it's almost a night and day experience when you talk about the relations between our two nations. Yeah, sadly, it is uh, when when, you know, I would meet with, uh, you know, for unofficial meetings with uh, Hungarian government members or just talking to the ordinary citizens of Hungary. Uh, everyone really feels uh, that relations between <clears throat> these two countries 
are at an all-time low. And, and you're exactly correct in saying that they were really at their peak uh, a couple of years ago between the Donald Trump administration and the Victor Orban administration. Um, you see, uh, it's, it feels like it's almost every other rally that Donald Trump does now where he's giving a, a shout out to Victor Orban. So obviously their relationship is still very warm and, and good. And and I can tell you that um, everyone I spoke to is uh, is praying, is crossing their toes and crossing their fingers and and really hoping that, that Donald Trump uh, does get back into the White House. Not so not not just to repair um, these U.S.-Hungarian relations, but also uh, to to really dial back, you know, what's happening here in this country. Let's not forget that the United States of America is, is uh, you know, still, you know, kind of the leader on a lot of issues. And when we do things, other countries follow. You know, so when we start adopting these idiotic open border policies, when we start, you know, telling parents that they're not allowed to have a say in their children's education uh, or, uh, or or sex changes in, in their in their their child, um, the rest of the world says, well, you know, if America thinks it's OK, I guess it's OK for us. Um, and I've got to tell you one thing that the, the Hungarian government, Prime Minister Orban, uh, and really everyone in Hungary is united about uh, is pushing back against all these woke and just crazy ideologies that are tearing families apart, tearing countries apart. Um, and, uh, you know, I think everyone there is very much hoping that President Trump uh, gets back into office again, not just to stop the the craziness here in America, but also to restore uh, U.S. Uh, Hungary relations, which, uh, yeah, really are at an all time low right now. Ryan, did it surprise you to see the meltdown from the mainstream media stemming from commentary that Donald Trump provided on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania last weekend where he reminded everybody that his stance and policy on NATO's effectiveness and essentially, you know, if the alliance survives depends on the United States and and right now they're doing a great job of not paying their fair share again? They've never paid their fair share. You know, this is the same could be said about, about the UN and all these other organizations organizations that the United States of America spends so much money on uh, and and really what's our what's our ROI right what's our return on investment um you know NATO countries should be committing uh or, or you know contributing you know their fair share um and unfortunately they don't uh, I think we were getting close to that when Trump was Trump was in charge because he held them accountable uh something that the Biden administration uh certainly is not doing um you know but the whole NATO situation as a whole is it's very interesting. You, you've got a lot of jockeying going on there. You've got the U.S. putting pressure on a country like like Hungary, you know, to let Sweden, uh, you know, in. There's just a lot, lot going on there. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, NATO should be NATO should be taking care of uh, countries uh, in Europe and, and abroad, and U.S. should be worrying about what's happening here, especially when we haven't worried about what's happening here for the last three years. I do want to switch gears a little bit, Brian. Uh, you know, there have been some recent developments in the conflict between Israel and Hamas as they continue their operations in response to the massacre and terrorist attack that happened back on October 7th. You know, we've seen such high amounts of negative rhetoric from the Biden administration since this conflict began. And, you know, it, it seemed to be echoed louder throughout the region yesterday when Jordan's King Adula came to Washington, D.C. for a dual presser and public speaking event with Joe Biden, where they kind of reiterated it's, uh, you know, not Israel's, I guess, job to determine how they finish this operation. They want it handcuffed and they want it supervised by the international community. I know this doesn't stand very well with Bibi Netanyahu, but 
what rhetoric like this potentially does is expand the war regionally outside of the Gaza Strip and the operation that Israel is currently conducting right now. When you see the way that this continued failed foreign policy that the Biden administration continues to propri it and, and push back against, and again, unfortunately, another one of our longstanding and strongest allies, Israel, what does it say for where this foreign policy and what Israel is trying to accomplish there gets done? I think what we're seeing now is uh, Israel and, and the BB-led uh, government is at a point where uh, they're really not asking permission. Uh, they're not sharing information uh, with the Biden administration, uh, which is which is very interesting. Um, there were some rumors floating that that Biden privately has, you know, called BB a fucking asshole and you know different things, and I'm sure he has. Um, you know, they their relationship is not what it used to be. And, you know, something you'll always see, and I, I can't begin to tell you that I agree with this approach, but something you'll always see from from Bibi and from other members of the Israeli government is that they'll never really openly criticize uh, the sitting administration. Um, they might make some kind of general statements, but they'll never actually criticize um, whether it's the Biden administration or whatever administration. Um, you know, but but now you're seeing uh, that Israel is is doing things on their own. Uh, conversations are now starting to be had in the highest echelons of Israel about you know once we once they get through Hamas, is it time to really reevaluate this dependence on uh, on America for for ammunitions and for for military items? Uh, and uh, <clears throat> listen, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but Israel is. Uh, Making a lot of headway, I think, uh, in in eliminating and and uh, and really uh, breaking up Hamas, and um, and I think they're going uh, they're going to continue uh, making making headway. And you know what we all have to to be looking at is whether or not Hezbollah from the north opens up a front, and uh, if they do, you know, then we're we're in a much different not much different uh, category of the world is on fire, Ron. Uh, if, if Hezbollah. Hezbollah pops up and gets involved, um, but but to bring this back to you know uh, you know uh, to President Biden, none of this none of this would be happening whether it's in the Middle East or this Russia Ukraine war, and none of this would be happening if we had a leader in the White House that was an actual commander in chief that was actually projecting strength onto the world and supporting our allies, and that was Donald Trump. And when you look at what Biden's doing right now. And the world is on fire. He doesn't have a single foreign policy victory that anyone can can look at, let alone, I don't even know if he has any domestic policies, so domestic wins either. So, um, yeah, we listen. I think all of us uh, can't wait until uh, we get to November and we're able to to align behind uh, the man that, that's really going to turn this country around and I think also restore peace onto the world stage, Donald I, Trump. I can't agree with you more, to be honest with you. And, and you know, you make a great point when you see – the damning DOJ report come out about the Biden special counsel related to his classified documents. And, and one of the first people they asked for commentary on there was Prime Minister Netanyahu. He didn't take the low road. It seemed like he took the high road and said he's talked to Joe Biden several times, especially and directly related to the conflict that's going on right now in Gaza. And he seems to be a you know, very energetic and, and competent president when we all know he probably had to hold in the laugh or, or he had all the other staffers on the other side of the uh, phone right there trying to hold in their laughs as well. But it's just really sad to see, you know, we will in the most disgustingest ways possible 
pander for this Ukraine aid when it's number one on the front lines of meat grinder. Number two, there's not many soldiers left to grind the meat of. And number three, the operation has gone so far off the rails, especially in the last six to nine months, that essentially the only war that's being fought right now is that between U.S. sent long-range weaponry trying to take pot shots at targets that they consider to be Russian. And we're seeing the same exact thing now parlayed into the you know conflict between Israel and Hamas and while they should have the right to defend themselves, it shouldn't be constantly reminded in the American and, and Western press that the only way to get this done is the way Joe Biden wants it to be. So I, I think it's really interesting to see how this is all kind of shaking out. But uh, I guess we'll have to see what what are your kind of uh, forecasts on, on how this, you know, conflict continues to take shape? Well, I, I think that there is a lot of uh, external pressure uh, being put on Israel to uh, to try and bring this thing to a head. Uh, with that said, uh, you, what you, what we've heard from from Bibi and and members of the Israeli government is that there is no timetable uh, on when this is going to end. Um, the timetable is when Hamas is gone, and uh, I think that's the right messaging. Uh, you know, Israel can't continue to live like this. You know, they can't continue to live with a a terrorist uh, terrorist Iranian terrorist proxy uh, that is. Uh, not only the military wing, but the government wing uh, of what's happening in Gaza right now. So, um, you know, I think uh, Israel's got their eyes on the ball right now, and they're going to do everything they can to to eliminate Hamas. Um, but um, you know, it's it's so much bigger than this, right? I, you know, when you when you look at you know the the Middle East, and I th- I think I saw a report from the Pentagon right before I jumped on here that since October seventh, one hundred eighty six U.S. military personnel have been injured by, as they say, Iranian terrorist proxies. I think it's time that we stop using this word terrorist proxies and just say Iran, because that's who it is. It's 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 Iran. That's the one that's the ones that are doing this. Don't say it too loud because you know how much of a hard on that gives Valerie Jarrett and, and Jake Sullivan. Nobody likes to fail on foreign policy like Victoria Newland likes to do in Ukraine than Valerie Jarrett and, and Jake Sullivan like to do regarding Iran. Brian, we're going to be leaving it at that right there. We're going to live link everything you've got in the show description today. We know you've got a PR firm. We know you've got a website. You're doing so much great stuff out there. Always contributing on Newsmax, bringing the fire here on Steak for Breakfast. Where can we find you? BrianeLive.com. Find me on uh, all the social media platforms. Last name's L-E-I-B. And the last thing I want to say is, listen, when Donald Trump is back in the White House, we are going to make U.S.-Hungarian relations great again. Let's get it done. Looking forward to that and to having you back on the show soon. This is the CEO of Henry Public Relations. He's also a senior fellow at the Center for Fundamental Rights, Newsmax contributor, great friend of Steak for Breakfast, Mr. Brian Live. Thanks for coming on the show. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks, Ron. And thanks to proud citizens like you last month, we won Iowa by the largest margin in GOP history. We then went to a beautiful place, New Hampshire, with more votes. We won it with more votes than any candidate has ever gotten in the history of the New Hampshire primary. That's good. As you probably heard two days ago, we won everything in the Virgin Islands, a nice place, beautiful place. Would you like to go sometime? We'll all go together. Maybe you've heard of it. Now we won everything in the Virgin Islands, and then we had a great night, day, month, year, decade in Nevada. We love Nevada. 99% 
in the Nevada caucuses. We even won the primary that we didn't participate in. <laughs> we won the primary by 48 points, and we didn't participate in it. It was very nice. I think I was known as not this name. <laughs> no, we won the primary by a lot. We didn't have much competition, to be honest with you. But, but we got more votes than anybody in Nevada in the caucuses. We got more votes than anybody in the history of that. So, so far, we're breaking every record. And I have a feeling we're going to do that again, right, Henry, in South Carolina. We're going to do it again. All right, jumping into our last news segment of the day today, the second of two all-new editions of the Stake for Records podcast. We're going to be doing our complete coverage of the Trump rally that was held down in Conway, South Carolina this weekend. Noah, I have an announcement to make. We have our first 10 out of 10 of the 10 two, out of 10. 2024 rally season. This was it, hands down, and by far, Donald Trump's strongest rally performance. And it wasn't even one of the 50 million people packed ones. This was a lot more of an intimate event. So they they went to the stadium that's used for hockey and basketball on the campus of Coastal Carolina University. The capacity there is around 4,500, but the entire floor was filled as well. And the outside overflow, watching the big screens of the rally, was so huge, they set up a mini stage on the back door of the loading dock with a podium. <laughs> and Donald Trump went out and gave them like a five-minute pre-rally rally for the thousands of people that were waiting outside. So he did a warm-up rally outside the actual rally. Yes. And or you, out back. You heard by the reception there when Donald Trump was highlighting how the campaign trail has looked so far in the primary season, the interactive audience was amazing and just dialed in. Now, remember, seven months ago when they had that rally in Pickens, South Carolina, small military town, about 4,000 people lived there, and almost 80,000 people showed up. The next opportunity to see Donald Trump was going to be well-attended, too. I believe this exceeded all expectations, and Donald Trump brought more than his A-game. He got into some things, and remember, we cover all of the Trump rallies, and we try to bring you guys the clips that you don't hear as part of like every single Donald Trump speaking event so you could hear what else is getting talked about. One of the ones that I thought was interesting, and we're going to play next, Donald Trump actually... Said that they're there, that Barack Obama himself is having a lot to do with running the current administration and the Joe Biden regime. And we can't Weird. let that happen. He doesn't want to let that happen. We all know it continues to happen if Joe Biden wins in November. Let's hear President Trump weigh in on this. America from yet another horrific Biden betrayal. I don't think he knows what the hell he's doing anyway. So I always say by the people that surround him or by sometimes I'll interchange I'll say by Barack Hussein Obama <laughs> Barack Hussein. but every time I say that the fake news oh that's a lot of fake news back there the <laughs> fake news every time I say it anytime I want to be have a little fun, Governor. We have fun sometimes, even though the country's going to hell, we have to have a little bit of fun. 
But every time I interchange Barack Hussein Obama, remember Rush Limbaugh? He'd go, Barack Hussein Obama. I wonder what he was getting at. But every time I do interchanging, we do a little interchanging, they say, he doesn't know who the president is. He thinks it's Barack Obama. I say, no, no, but I think Barack Obama has a lot to do with running the country right now, and we can't let that happen. He has a lot to do with it. I, the other day got caught, I do the invitation where Biden can't find his way off the stage, right? He can't find the stairs. Well, right there I got one, I have two, I got three, and I could jump off the back or off the front if we had to, right? And so I do the invitation, it's just fun. I say, this guy can't put two sentences together, he can't even find his way off the stage, and then I go, watch. I'll imitate him, and I go like this, huh? You ever notice he always goes, huh? He starts off good, because he's pointing at the stairs, and then after that, he's like, and then he turns around, huh? <laughs> and in Nevada, where we did so well, we had a wall in the back. This, we don't have a wall here, we have great people. As opposed to a wall. People better than, but we had a wall, and I walked back to the wall. Where are, where are, and then I came back, and we had a great. We did a very good speech. They said he was unable to find his way off the stage. You know why? Because they're among the most dishonest people you'll ever see. Mm. Nothing like hitting the fake news for almost two minutes straight, and, and then listen. Very few times you hear people with as much poll credibility as Donald Trump actually say that he feels like Barack Obama is currently running the country. You'll hear it from places like this, some of the people we bring on with commentary. We like to point out the superstructure that Joe Biden set up around himself with his cabinet and all of the people who are heading departments right now who are failed holders of other jobs in the previous administration when Barack Obama was the president. But Donald Trump's just, he calls balls and strikes. And Noah, you, you heard the interactiveness level of that audience you know Donald Trump feeds off the energy. You see where I was getting at when I said this was a 10 of 10? Oh, yeah, solid. Definitely feeling it, and, and he was definitely feeling it as well. One of the things that we like to hear every time Donald Trump does a speaking event is what he plans to do as part of his day one, only for one day only, dictatorship, and that's seal the U.S. southern border and initiate the largest deportation operation in the history of the galaxy. Let's hear it. On day one, I will terminate every open border policy of the Biden administration, and we will begin the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. We have no choice. We have no choice. We don't want to do that. We have no choice. Dwight Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, was actually a pretty tough guy, tougher than people think, and he did it. And when he talks about Dwight Eisenhower being able to accomplish it, just think for the technological uh, capacity that the federal government had at the time and all of the other agencies that weren't around during that time either. He was still able to deport and remove from this country over 3 million illegals. And you want to talk about that compared to now, Tom Homan says he needs 100 days to do it. And I'll give you guys that's, some. That's a, that's a solid 100 days of really, really hard work, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've talked to a couple people, and I know, how do I want to put this? There are some people who are being 
pre-vetted for possible cabinet positions in the next Trump administration. And one that I had the opportunity to talk with recently said, Donald Trump is looking for every aspect available to him. DHS, which includes like Border Patrol, CBP, ICE. Then you're talking about the Department of Defense using the National Guard. They're even talking about using the Department of Transportation to use federal funding to boat and fly illegals back to their country of origin. This is going to be such a complex operation. I think that they have a really good opportunity to get done what they're promising to do on the campaign trail this year. And and when someone mentioned that Department of Transportation aspect of it and started to give me like some of the bullet points, I was like, that makes so much sense. And because they're federal mm-hmm. agencies, they can collaborate together. It just adds a whole other component of the people from the other side of the aisle won't be able to stop it. It's not like he's creating more debt or reallocating funds. He's going to be using previously existing things that we just don't use in regards to stuff like deportations and enforcement to service the American people and get this country back to where it needs to be. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal to hear something like that, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where this administration is going as far as border security and deportation operations, in addition to the Department of Firing, which I definitely hope is established on day one. Schedule F is yeah. Dead. We could get we could get all the uh, truck drivers that got that lost their jobs in California for being uh, owner operators and under a certain level of uh, what was it? What was it? The years of the trucks that were taken off the road or something like that. Yep. So we'll just have put all those guys back to work, just transporting aliens around. It's wild. It's wild. All right, I'm, I'm going to do our little show break here. Last call wherever you're listening today. Hopefully it's on Apple Podcasts. Helps us out a big time in the Apple Top 100. We keep moving up every week, probing towards the top 25. Make sure you're subscribed to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. That means you hit the subscribe button, the follow button, the plus Apple button on whatever platform you're listening on, and that it's downloading to your electronic device. We don't ask you guys for a dime. You pay us in downloads. And that's it. doesn't do anything except help out the show and make your voice more prevalent amongst the mainstream media. In addition... Find us on social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. We've got accounts on all those platforms. Find them, follow them, hit the notification bell. We're going to be wrapping up here with the Trump rally in a few clips before we jump in with Arizona congressional candidate, Trump-endorsed, Lake-endorsed, Abe Hominay again, get an update from him. So Donald Trump took a couple shots that, outside of his usual rally coverage, made it into the mainstream media this weekend. The first one was... He took a shot at Nikki Haley, not as a disenfranchised candidate, not that she's evolving literally into the second coming of Hillary Clinton before our very eyes, not that she's going to be losing by probably over 40 points in South Carolina in a few weeks here when we have the primary there on February 24th, but more of a personal shot like Donald Trump is so well known for doing. Now we all know it's come to light. That Nikki Haley, throughout the course of her public service, has had multiple affairs when her husband is deployed, who's an active duty reservist, who's deployed right now on a year-long, I guess, vacation in the Horn of Africa, serving in his context. They have not addressed this at all on the campaign trail, the Haley campaign. They just kind of shut it down. Like, anytime anybody brings up anything about her affairs and the fact that at least two of the people that she committed them with signed affidavits in regards to her campaigning along her 
gubernatorial races when she was the governor of South Carolina for a term and a half before being elevated to UN ambassador in the Trump administration. So Donald Trump wants to kind of light her up and he hit her hard asking, even though he knows where he is, where's her husband at the rally? Let's hear it. Lifetime, she said, I will never run against him. Then she comes over to see me at Mar-a-Lago. Sir, I will never run against you. She brought her husband. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. Where, what happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? <laughs> Where is he? He's gone. He knew. He knew. But no, think of this. Think of this. You know what Donald Trump's talking about when he says he knew? Oh, of course. He knew that Nikki Haley knew what the ceiling of a Cadillac SUV looked like. Yeah. Count the dots. <laughs> oh, boy. She knows exactly how many seconds it is before the interior lights turn off once you close the door, too. <laughs> but that wasn't the one that made the biggest press. There was some pushback from Nikki Haley. But before we get into hearing what she was crying about, believe it or not, well, obviously, probably because she doesn't care about her husband as at least as much as she used to, it was after Donald Trump made some comments about NATO. Now, we know what Donald Trump's relationship with, with NATO was. We all remember that iconic clip of when Donald Trump went to the NATO summit and he was sitting across the table from the supreme commander of NATO and he was essentially saying, like, I don't get it. Here are the two things I don't get. Number one, nobody pays their fair share, period. It's, it just doesn't happen. So we're defending people who aren't paying for it. Number two, why do we defend people who have it both ways? And then he gave the example. We have to defend Germany as part of the NATO alliance. Germany buys all of their energy from Russia. How does that make any sense? Russia's not going to invade Germany. They're a customer of them. And if they did, we would say, why do you buy their energy from them? It doesn't make any sense. And they pushed back hard on that, saying that, like, Donald Trump, NATO hasn't worked in the context that it's supposed to, and it's push across Eastern Europe right up to Russia's backyard, is the reason that it's in such disarray right now. Now, I went and got the most recent spending. This is from fiscal year 2023. Real GDP, people that pay in. Believe it or not, Noah, residual effect from the Trump administration. First time he was in office. We're still not back at number one paying into NATO. We're number two. Oh, good. Right now, Poland is at number one. They pay 3.9% of their real GDP for NATO defense. We're two at 3.5. And then it goes through all the rest of the countries. The ones operating in the red, though, France, Montenegro, North Macedonia, Bulgaria, Croatia, Albania, Netherlands, Norway, Denmark, Germany, Chechnya, Portugal, Italy, Canada, Slovenia, Turkey, Spain, Belgium, and Luxembourg. They're all in over their heads. They're not paying their fair share, and everyone is paying on behalf of them. So Donald Trump does like he always does, wants to make a headline, and got onto the subject of NATO during his trally in South Carolina this weekend. Let's hear it. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. 
You got to pay your bills. Now, again, you can only imagine how that was taken out of context in the mainstream media. Yeah, I saw some of that. First to do so was Nikki Haley, who jumped on one of the fake news Sunday morning news circuit programs to talk about the 75-year success that has been NATO. Let's hear her. Important for Joe Biden and Congress to tell the American people why they should care, to give them the other side. And you don't hear that. The other side is that NATO has been a 75 year success story. We have not had war in the region. And if you look, Russia has never invaded a NATO country. They've invaded Georgia. They've invaded Ukraine. They've invaded Moldova. So we want to make sure that, yes, do we want NATO to pay more? Of course we do. But the last thing we're going to do is side with a thug. Keep in mind, Putin killed his opponents. Keep in mind that he has arrested Evan Gersovich, who's been sitting in jail just for doing journalism. Keep in mind that this is a man who has wanted to destroy America and defeat America for years. I dealt with Russia every single day. It is a mistake for Trump to side with Putin over our allies. We needed a lot of friends after 9-11. We better remember that. But it takes a friend to, to get a friend. Ambassador Haley, I'm sure you've seen <laughs> the comments from the likes of Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio, when it comes to NATO, do you feel like you're potentially at a step with members of your own party? You know, it's not the goal is never to follow the polls. The goal is to make sure you you communicate what's right. We need to make sure that we have an alliance that's strong. Our whole goal is to prevent war. That's the main thing. I mean, you look at Russia right now. The reason people should care about Ukraine is because, one, it's a pro-American, freedom-loving country. But, two, listen to what Putin said. Putin said once he takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. Those are NATO countries. That immediately puts America at war. This is about preventing war. This is about keeping an alliance strong. This is about bringing more friends in, not pushing friends away. Donald Trump doesn't get that. And that's what will creep us into war. We can't have that. And so our goal is not to go and blame the American people for feeling the way they do. It's to make sure we get our message out on why they should care and how this is in the best interest of America. And for those politicians who are refusing to say that, that's a disservice to the people that they serve. It's whole. You were saying I no? like how she's I like how she's making the reference to there's never there's hasn't been war in the region. And she she mentions all these places that. I didn't really listen that closely, but I would assume she mentioned that Russia didn't invade the buffer zone areas that are around it, that it did not want to be part of NATO. So it didn't invade these places that aren't part of NATO until Ukraine started towing the idea of joining NATO, correct? Correct. So you're just saying that NATO was just there. And until we started fucking around, that's when this shit happened. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Yeah. And she alluded to not being out of touch as the reporter pressed her on when you're talking about, okay, now you're even hearing some of the more moderate Republican senators like Marco Rubio and war-loving Lindsey Graham, for Christ's sake, saying like, no more funding to Ukraine until we seal our border and any Ukraine funding moving forward needs to come in the form of a loan and not a supplemental aid package. I thought that was mind-blowing hearing from somebody like Lindsey Graham. Like, way to line up with Donald Trump in step with where he's going. Listen, Lindsey doesn't want to get primaried. No, you give me the money, and I give it back after the war. Like a credit. 
<laughs> but Marco Rubio was on State of the Union shortly after Nikki Haley this weekend and Rod Rosenstein, and they asked him about both of these comments that Donald Trump made. First, about Nikki Haley's husband. And Marco Rubio defended Donald Trump attacking Nikki Haley's deployed husband, saying that, I think they're part of the increasing nastiness of this campaign and every campaign in American politics. Trump gives it as good as it gets when he's talking about shit posting in real time. And, and then when challenged on the NATO alliance stuff, which we all know all the shit libs love, Rubio alluded to, well, that's not what happened. He was telling a story. They played the 20-second clip that we played you guys. He doesn't talk like a traditional politician. I have zero concern saying that Trump encouraged Russia to attack NATO countries. And that's from somebody that ideologically didn't always see eye to eye with Donald Trump, but now that we've seen three years of Joe Biden, especially in places like Florida where his constituents are getting absolutely destroyed by inflation, the increase of crime, more illegals, the woke shit in school, Marco Rubio gets it. And I think a lot of people do, like I just talked about with Lindsey Graham. Got one more clip which is going to be the closeout before we jump in with Abe Hamaday. I do want to touch on just a couple polls, Noah. Who would do a better job? This is an ABC poll that came out Sunday morning. And I'm just going to give you the plus margins. Joe Biden or a rock? It's Trump versus Biden on the top 10 biggest items. Tell me if you think this is pretty accurate. Immigration, Trump plus 18. The economy, Trump plus 12. Abortion, mm-hmm. Biden plus 9. Healthcare, Biden plus 10. Inflation, Trump plus 10. Classified documents, Biden plus 10. That's because he doesn't really? remember what he took. Climate change, Biden plus 17. Crime, Trump plus 13. Education, Biden plus 7. Gun violence, Trump plus 1. Israel Hamas war, Trump plus 8. Russia Ukraine war, Trump plus 3. Pretty interesting poll there. Yeah. I mean, all of the leftist bullshit talking points that don't help one American, like climate change, Joe Biden's leading by double digits. But in all of the real ones, Donald Trump's doing much better. Yeah, the shit that's on the ground level, taxpayer worries, whether you're getting your door kicked in and robbed, all that kind of shit. Yeah, that's the stuff that's important to people. It sure is. You ready for that Super Tuesday preview? Here's the 2024 Republican primary states and how much Donald Trump is favored to win them by. Louisiana, plus 82. Oklahoma, plus 77. Alabama, plus 75. Missouri, plus 74. Florida, plus 71. Texas, 69. (laughs) New York, plus 69. Ohio, plus 67. Kentucky, plus 67. California, plus 67. Jersey, plus 65. Georgia, plus 65. It reads all the way down. The closest margin for Donald Trump is Wisconsin, plus 44, and South Carolina, which is currently a plus 37. Those two numbers for a non-incumbent would be historic. And all of the rest of them read high 60s, mid 70s, low 80s. There has never been a 50-state sweep by a non-incumbent ever in the history of presidential politics. Donald Trump is again going to make history in just a few short weeks when he wins South Carolina, Michigan, Idaho, and then takes that right into Super Tuesday, which will lock up the nomination for him. No, you see these poll numbers and how they've kind of... You, you, you think we've consolidated enough on the Republican side? You think we're there? I mean, when you start to see middle-of-the-road Republicans or ones that don't necessarily see eye-to-eye policy-wise with Donald Trump meeting him in the middle on a lot of things right now, do you think everybody sees the writing on the wall and they don't want to be left in the wake? 
I think that's a lot of it, but it doesn't mean we have to rest on our laurels and just think that everything's going to be fine. You still have to put in the work. And you, did you hear about the changes coming at the RNC? Oh, what do we got? Well, it looks like after South Carolina, Ron McDaniel is going to be out. We all knew that. And now uh-huh. it's looking like, and I was actually thinking that this would have been rumor and hearsay, but now that I've been able to confirm it with the Trump team, I'm proud to announce, well, first of all, announce Joe Biden's schedule for today, 10 a.m., in-town pool call, whatever that means, 12.30 p.m. Is that when he gets his uh, hairy legs rubbed in the pool? <laughs> 2.30 p.m., lunch with Kamala. 2.45, receives the presidential daily briefing today with Kamala. Do you think they do lunch and they just stare at each other? Did you see And the- she just sits there and, like, plays on her phone, Sudoku or something? Did you see the commercial that Joe Biden did that came out? Um, when he joins an African-American family for dinner, it's like a dad and two kids. No, I missed that one. And Joe Biden brings fried chicken and French fries over for everybody and then opens up his and he's like, I made sure I got myself a burger. <laughs> it's a real commercial. Really? Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, tell me about basketball. What position do you play? And then he's like, looks. Oh, at the- oh you know what? I did see that, but I missed the I missed the fried chicken part. I saw they were eating stuff. Yeah. But I didn't realize. Yeah. I just thought he was doing the Trump like bring people to the white house and have the McDonald's spread. Oh no, this was complete pandering. And then he like looks over at the dad and then looks back at the kids. He's like, you know, that guy would take a bullet for y'all. Right. And the kids are just sitting there looking at him. So I just, I just quoted the, the video from the white house official account and said, Joe Biden talks about the rise of gun violence in a predominantly African American neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) I got him. But changes at the RNC. It's now you know been- this guy's going to go out for milk one of these days. Oh, God. Stop it. <laughs> a major Trump shakeup at the RNC is coming. Donald Trump will endorse, who's the co-chair now, Michael Watley, to succeed Ronna McDaniel as RNC chair. He will also push for first daughter-in-law, Laura mm. Trump, to be the RNC co-chair. Here's the big one. And okay. we all know that this guy is a huge huge part of Donald Trump's success story so far in his presidential re-election campaign. Chris LaCivita will be appointed RNC COO and will maintain his role as senior advisor on the Trump campaign. Nice. Yeah. So we'll have to see. Hey, remember, Chris LaCivita said it here on the show when we asked him about Ronald McDaniel, and he kind of started to go into like his answer, and he's like, you know what, man? Honestly, once Donald Trump has enough delegates to become the nomination, the campaign should just kick in the door at the RNC and hijack it. That's literally what he said. Mm-hmm. And and here we are seeing him being appointed as the COO with Laura Trump and uh, Wheatley being appointed to the RNC chair. It looks like it could be a, a lot brighter future for our campaign for the next, it would be eight months after the South Carolina primary. Last poll I got, Noah, you know this is the important one because this is where the money lies. Poly market. The digital gambling for president. Presidential winner. Oh, yeah. That's the real shit right there. Yep. Presidential winner. Donald Trump, 55. Joe Biden, 31. Big Mike. Michelle Obama, 7. Newsom, 4. RFK Jr., 2. And then in the GOP primary, Donald Trump, 93. Haley, 3. And in the Democrat primary, Biden, 73. Big Mike, 10. Newsom, 9. Harris, 5. And that's where the money is right now. Head-to-head matchup. Donald Trump, 55, Joe Biden, 31. That's where the betting is in Vegas as of today. And as promised, before we jump in with Dave Hamday, we got one last clip of the president from his huge rally 
in Conway, South Carolina this weekend, and that's the traditional Trump rally closeout. Let's hear it. With your support, we will go on to victory, the likes of which no one has ever seen before. We will evict crooked Joe Biden from the White House, and we will take back our country on November 5th, 2024. The great silent majority is rising like never before, and under our leadership, the forgotten man and woman will be forgotten no longer. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. South Carolina. God bless you all. God bless you. Get out and vote. Get out and vote. Thank you. And Donald Trump would go on to hit the Trump several times before exiting stage right in what was what I'm calling the first 10 out of 10 Trump commit to vote rally of the 2024 presidential election season. Noah, you heard the highlights. You know the man. Strong ending as well. What do you think? It was solid. I mean, I can't expect anything other than the best from him like as it gets closer to like go time he's just gonna have to just go for it he's gonna have to put everything on the table and that's the thing we're getting closer to go time here we will have enough delegates to name donald trump the nominee by super tuesday which is coming on march 5th and just it's coming like a freight train you've got all of this legal stuff going on right now where it seems like Donald Trump is gaining the upper hands in just about every case that's being put against him. You've got Joe Biden flailing, not only in all of the failed policy stuff, but now the damning evidence from this special counsel investigation, which shows he might not have the marbles to do it. All at the same time, while the infighting in the House continues, however, like we told you, give Mike Johnson a chance, and here he is holding the line, and now you see more senators than ever lining up to hopefully take down eventually Mitch McConnell. If there's one person left in either the House or Senate who I doesn't, I do not think makes it to Inauguration Day, it's Mitch McConnell. I'd bet on him. His age, his health, and the fact that everybody's starting to point out that they hate him and why everybody else should might be enough at going to be 82 years old to get him out of Capitol Hill. We'll continue to track that as we do everything here. As we make up our headlines on the show, we're getting ready to jump in with Arizona congressional candidate Abe Hamaday to wrap up our second of two all-new editions of the podcast today. But before we do that, one last check-in with one of our partners. 
Hi, this is Beardo over at Beard That Coffee. What's wrong with America today is that Americans are putting convenience over values. We need to start thinking about our dollar as a boat. We need to start using those dollars to support companies that believe in our values and aren't afraid to take a stand. That's us at Beardvet Coffee. We're not another pretend conservative company that puts a pew-pew on the packaging to take a line with our principles. We don't identify as America first, we live America first. We're vet-founded, vet-focused, and obviously bearded. So, if you haven't had a cup of Beardvet, buy a bag, help us continue to support veteran charities every month. And as we always say, stay awake, not woke. Use promo code STAKE for 10% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, the second of two big all-new editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the candidate who's running to make Arizona 8 great again, take that show up to Capitol Hill next year, and hopefully start passing new legislation that's going to make uh, Congress America first again as well. Mr. Abe Hamaday, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Good to be with you. Always a pleasure to host you. We've been tracking you for so long. We just uh, need you to get in here as much as possible and tell our listenership about the absolute latest from the campaign trail. We see so much stuff negatively affecting you know, all the states in the Southwest region. We've had Elizabeth Helgeline on the show today. She just got done helping out uh, President Trump in the Nevada caucus. She's running for the third congressional district seat there. And, you know, uh, when you look at the state of Arizona and what's going on there, outside of uh, directly having migrants coming into the state, you almost see the same things negatively affecting it. The healthcare system, the economy, education, crime, value of the dollar, available jobs. And then when you talk about all the awesome Biden stuff that's going around, the price of fuel to put in your car, the price of fuel to heat your home, etc. It seems like a recipe for disaster. It seems like we're going to be flipping not only a lot of these congressional seats, but states in the presidential election as well. So as you're out on the campaign trail and doing a lot of meeting and greeting with the future constituents you're going to have there, Abe. What's the latest that you could tell our listenership? Well, I think you're exactly right. And everything you mentioned is everything I'm hearing on the campaign trail. But you couple with that where everybody sees what's happening with this whole disaster. And they're saying, well, Abe, are we going to have free and fair and honest elections? And I, you know, it, it's hard messaging where I'm, you know, with everything Carrie Lake and I went through and what President Trump went through in 2020. I tell folks, you know, the primary vote is still matters big in the general election these people are unnoticed we just saw america first legal file a lawsuit against maricopa county so we're trying to put into place right now um really good election integrity measures before 2024 so you know it seems like the we're, we're on the offense clearly but we're going up against this corrupt cabal especially here in arizona but with the border situation it is so frightening because it's really hitting home literally to so many people in arizona right now you know there's been so many burglaries that we've been seeing out here dozens and dozens of burglaries and it's actually done the police have been kind of keeping it quiet where it's actually being done by a south american they suspect chilean illegal immigrants uh, gangs and it's happening in arizona but i've actually heard it happening in minnesota nevada california so it's it's all over the country. So the border situation is not just affecting the border states and it's not just putting a strain on resources like in New York and Chicago. The crime is increasing because of this. So, you know, every Arizona and every American recognizes that the border is as a national security issue, but even more so, it, it affects every single policy here domestically. I mean, when you have 
criminals coming in and committing burglaries. You have fentanyl poisoning children at, at schools. So this is a big problem. And that's why I've been so focused on with President Trump and Carrie Lake in the Senate. I'm going to I'm going to introduce legislation to classify these drug cartels as terrorist organizations. And we need to go to war with them. I am sick and tired of inaction by Washington. They just passed this, you know, ninety five billion dollar uh, spending bill to these foreign countries like Ukraine. It's it's what about the United States? What 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 is happening? You know, are we a country or are we just a bank to to facilitate uh, forever wars? It seems like so. You know, this is a big problem that I'm hearing on the trail where they don't the people here recognize that the government isn't serving them. And that's why I think President Trump's in such a good position to take back the White House, because we've tried Biden's policies. And what have we what has gotten us? It's gotten us inflation where we've lost the the, the dollar has been devalued by 24 percent in three years. 10 million, over 10 million illegal immigrants have come into our country in three years. That's bigger than the state of Arizona. It's three times bigger than the state of Nevada. And I mean, if you look at the current trends of the amount of illegal immigrants coming across our southern border just in the last month, month and a half, it, it, they're they're realizing that, hey, this gravy train might stop really soon. So they're flooding it even more. And, you know, I, I think making sure we message to the American people that the United States cannot survive another Democrat administration, whether it's Biden or whoever they try to throw up there at the, the national convention for the Democrats. We cannot survive this and we cannot inherit another 10 million people coming across our southern border in another four years. You know, President Trump's America first agenda needs to be implemented. He needs strong fighters in Congress at the Senate. And we have to take back our country that they stole from us. We know it. You know, and I, on the trail, you know, I make a joke about this. You know, I've never talked more about transgenders ever in my life, except in the last few years. And, uh, you know, it goes to show you wh what the media and what the Democrats are doing by by shifting these narratives. Right. And, you know, nobody seems to talk about the the shooter, the shooting that just happened at that church, which was done by a uh, seems like a transgender who an illegal immigrant transgender who had sympathies with, you know, with Hamas. I mean, it, it is this is cultural Marxism is here. You know, the, the enemy isn't just at the gates. They've they've stormed the castle. We're on a rescue mission to save the America we remember. And that's that's what's at stake. That's what's going on. And, uh, you know, you, you look all around with election integrity, especially here in Arizona. I can't wait to go to Washington, D.C., because I know President Trump cares about that issue. I care about that issue. When we had our attorney general race stolen from us by 280 votes out of 2.5 million ballots with there's still 9,000 uncounted ballots here in Arizona. So, you know, I, I know I know what's at stake. We need courageous, bold fighters that that know what time it is. And that's why I'm so excited to be joining them and proud to be endorsed by Trump and Carrie Lake. So, you know, we have a good team coming out of Arizona to join President Trump in Washington. No, you guys certainly do. And when you look at the uh, some of the items you touched on, I mean, the mass of, uh, illegal immigration that's coming to this country right now is being highlighted and on display for, for everyone to see. We've seen attacks on police officers multiple times by illegal migrant gangs in places like New York and Chicago, Washington, D.C. Then just the, the regular crimes, whenever we see these stories making headlines right now in, in the evening news, it always seems to be directly tied to gang-related, cartel-related, or illegal-related activity. And then Hey, I think the biggest thing that we need to talk about when it comes to resecuring the U.S. southern border, 11 people 
on the U.S. terror watch list tried to and were apprehended during Donald Trump's four years in office, 11. And we've soared past and, and, and are getting near 350 people, not including the millions of gotaways, which again did not happen during the Trump administration, or have crossed the border and been encountered by you know U.S. Customs and Border Patrol right now. When you talk about just the national security risk, I mean, we're seeing what happens when third world countries empty out their prisons and their mental institutions and throw them across the U.S. southern border now with the rise of crime and all the major cities that they're getting dumped in. But when you talk about coordinated activities that could be happening, you know, and provided by potential terrorists who are just having free reign. I mean, if the cartels want to get somebody into the United States in this current security list border they can 100 percent do it what does it say to potentially having a major terrorist attack here in the united states in the very near future well as a veteran as an intelligence officer who served in the middle east who was actually tasked with in implementing enhanced security vetting uh, uh so we can prevent terrorists from coming into our country i am deeply concerned that there already are terrorists that crossed our southern border and if you look at my district here in Arizona's 8th Congressional District, we have the largest manufacturer of semiconductor microchips that just moved from Taiwan to my district. You know, it's a $50 billion project. I mean, there's so much happening. And you're seeing Chinese illegal immigrants. And Correct. 60 Minutes was just covering this. So, you know, even the mainstream media is, is starting to be a little bit concerned about the record number of Chinese nationals who are crossing our southern border the, you know, the, with ties to communist China. So they're obviously gathering intelligence. Uh, the, any foreign adversary would look at exploiting our southern border. And it, it's as somebody who served my country, the fact that we have military deployed all over the world, and yet we're trying to force Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, not to secure his border, you know, that, and and we had, you know, shockingly, two re Republican appointed Supreme Court justices side with the the Democrats on that, and that and that's what I that's what I talk about with you know the Republican Party needs to wake up. I mean, we, you know, the America First movement is not just fighting the 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 leftist Marxists. We're also fighting some of these uniparty Republicans out here who who clearly don't know what's going on, or they're in or they're they're complicit in this. So it, it is a battle that we are fighting. But I think so many people are waking up uh, faster than we've ever seen before. And you know, even I heard Marco Rubio's Senate floor speech today when he talked about if you look at the illegal immigrants are getting more benefits than our senior citizens, than our veterans. I mean, you know, making sure that message, you know, drives home to these independent voters to see what's happening and why, why are we treating people who have no business entering our country? Why are we treating them better than, than our, our American citizens? So, you know, th this message resonates clearly across all political lines. And that's why I think the Democrats are so scared because they know that their policies have been so disastrous. But unfortunately, they have such a captured media that just uh, does the propaganda for them. But it, it, you know, you look at the security situation at our southern border, it is it, it's not secured whatsoever. You know, not just the illegal immigrants, but as you mentioned, the people on the terror watch list, the Chinese nationals coming across. This is a complete recipe for disaster. And the only solution is to get President Trump back in the White House and to elect strong America first Republicans to to pass his agenda. Which is what we're going to segue to next. Getting that agenda passed starts and ends in the House of Representatives. We know the Senate's going to approve. I mean, the, the Senate map is, is so favorable for Republicans to flip. It's probably the most 
optimistic I've been about the Senate in, in a very long time. Not just the way we're going to flip it from Democrat to Republican, but some of the people who are running in these races right now that are going to be extremely strong warriors up there and that are going to, you know, contribute in the same way we see people like Tommy Tuberville and J.D. Vance doing right now. But down in the House of Representatives, I think it goes without saying, you know, Jamie Raskin went on the news this weekend and said, listen, if we flip the House, first thing that's on the docket for the American people in 2025 is the impeachment of Donald Trump if he wins back the White House. When their campaign right now for the Democrats across the country is impeaching Donald Trump, abortion, and not securing the border, it seems like, you know, this country will not survive another four years of that. And, and like you said, Abe, the delegation that's looking to come out of Arizona, parlay that with Donald Trump, is probably one of the strongest in the entire election cycle right now. So what we want to leave with is we know you're out on the campaign trail, absolutely killing it, meeting your future constituents and, and really listening to their hearts and minds about what's affecting everybody out there. But we want all of our listenership who tune into the show to be able to help out your campaign. You don't have to live in the state of Arizona to contribute. You don't have to live in the state of Arizona to be able to work the phones and, and things of that nature. So anything that you need to continue this strong campaign that you're running right now, just let our listenership know. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm I'm fighting so many battles and uh, it's not just my congressional race where I'm actually targeting, you know, Maricopa County, who despicably ran the worst election that we've ever seen in 2022 with the machines going down. So, you know, we're, we're in the battle of our lives and I've taken on a lot of powerful people right now. So any support would be greatly appreciated. I'm still fighting my election lawsuits still because, you know, we're exposing so much of what's happening, but they can go to my website at abe4az.com, A-B-E-F-O-R-A-Z.com. Would love their support and their financial contributions just because I'm battling such a, such a machine out here. But, you know, Harry Lake, myself and President we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cross the finish line and we're gonna we're gonna shake things up in washington dc and it's gonna reverberate across the country and it's looking to be a stronger delegation that's come out of arizona in an extremely long time abe we're always happy to sit down with you we'll be, we'll be looking to get you back in here again before your primary and, and have everything squared away with our listenership to be supporting you we've got everything live linked what's your social media handle one more time uh, Twitter, it's at Abraham Hamaday, or I guess that's X now. And then they can also follow me on Truth Social at Abraham Hamaday and Instagram at Abraham Hamaday as well. And we'll be looking to circle back with you again real soon. This is the candidate who's running in Arizona's 8th Congressional District, Mr. Abe Hamaday. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Busy start to the news week, but I think we nailed it. What about you, Noah? Is it busy? If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, I want to hear the now over 330 other editions of the show, make sure you're subscribed across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Hit the plus button. Hit the follow button. Make sure you're subscribed and that it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, find us on social media. Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram is where our accounts lie. Find them, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our great guests for coming down and sharing today. Retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. Former Chief of Staff to the DOD and Special Assistant to President Trump, Cash Patel. Newsmax contributor, PR firm director, Brian Leib, and congressional candidates, Elizabeth Hageline in Nevada and Abe Hamaday in Arizona. You guys all definitely helped make steak great again. Guys, we're in the midst of a busy week. We're going to have stuff like Alejandro Mayorkas impeachment to talk about, hopefully, on our Two Big Fridays edition of the show where we're also going to feature Congressman Klein and Harris, former special assistant to President Trump, Theo Wold, and Texas congressional candidate, 
John O'Shea. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. I've been fearful of defeat, but now that it has come, it's not near as terrible as I'd expected. The sun still shines, water still tastes good. Glory is all well and good, but life is enough, ne? news at Actium in Greece, the navy of our Imperator, Octavian Caesar, under the command of Marcus Vipsanius Agrippa, has won a decisive victory over Queen Cleopatra.